So yesterday we did an interview about when the best time to exercise is. The the general rule is just whenever you can. And we asked you on the Instagram, do you exercise in the mornings or the <laughs> evenings? And it's 50-50. I'm surprised by that. I, I, I thought a little... I thought a lot more would say morning. I actually followed the poll. I checked in on it while it was up there. And the mornings went off to a solid yeah. start of winning. Mm. And then the evenings crept up to uh, to even things out. Are you disappointed out of interest? Because a lot of the polls lately have gone against you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not disappointed. And I'm not going to throw a tantrum over this with every other poll. <laughs> let's be honest, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Richard, our exercise guru yesterday, said, you know, any exercise is good exercise. So true. as long as we're all going, yeah. I'm happy for us all. This Although the true. morning is the best. Good on you, Newsless. You know, pat yourselves on the back. Um, get those gains. Anyway, kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. It's the news that has jaws dropping on golf courses around the world. So what does the PGA Tour merging with the Live Tour mean for the game? Also, China and India have expelled each other's journalists in an escalation of long-simmering tensions. So what is the deal with the beef between these two nuclear powers? Can artificial intelligence generate a yummy recipe made up of only the ingredients in your pantry or fridge? We're speaking to the reporter brave enough to find out. And capping things off, a story about anti-capitalist French monks who strive for enlightenment by day and empower awkward people like me to get their groove on by night. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Well, in an absolutely stunning turn of events in the world of golf, the PGA Tour will be merging with the controversial Saudi-backed Live Tour. Why is this such a stunning turn of events, you may ask? Well, when the Live Tour was first announced and launched, it caused a huge uproar, in part because it's bankrolled by Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the new competition created these massive divisions in the pro-golfing community. Uh, Those planning to stick with the OG, US-based PGA Tour, they frequently let loose their thoughts regarding competitors and uh, their golf mates choosing to take the money, and we're talking huge amounts of money to join Live. Uh, Some players and observers saw it as a transparent campaign of sports washing from Saudi Arabia. But of course, you don't just have to take our word for it when we say this is big news because we've got Kiwi golfing icon Greg Turner on the line joining us from Queenstown Airport, might I add. He's managed to squeeze us in before a flight and he's here to share some insights. Kia ora, Greg. Yeah, kia ora. Greg, how big of a deal is this for the world of golf? Well... To be honest, I'm still trying to process it. It's um, come as a uh, mm-hmm. as it's quite a shock. I wondered if this was entering into the world of fake news, but um, it appears not. Huge shock, huge shock. I think that some sort of compromise was probably inevitable in the end, but I don't think anybody was predicting it would happen as quickly as this. And it'd be really interesting to see the, the detail of you know, the devil will be in the detail, so to speak. Greg, you know, many players objected to live golf on moral grounds, as we alluded to in the intro there. How do you think they will be feeling now about what will be seen by a lot of people as giving in to the money of Saudi Arabia? Well, I don't think there's any question that it's giving in to the money of Saudi Arabia. Well, yeah, I mean, the moral issue is an interesting one. I mulled over this for a while, 
you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I wouldn't have uh, wanted to join. But I mean, it's hard to cast expectations on individuals when your businesses in your country will deal with Saudi. It's a, probably a bit much to expect individuals to do that. Quite a different thing when an organisation the size of the PGA Tour or the um, along with the DP World Tour decides that that's okay. And, um, you know, look, the Saudis are hugely into sport worldwide. They're big into the LPGA Tour. They're, you know, they're big in English Premier League football. Goodness knows where else. So this is not a new phenomenon. Mm. But, yeah, I think there's a bit of a sense of swallowing a dead rat here to me. <laughs> the other way of looking at this all, of course, is that this is the most rapid and successful sports washing campaign ever. Do you agree? How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, in, in many ways, it's it's highlighted the Saudi regime's stance on a lot of things, hasn't it? That perhaps people haven't thought of before. So, mm. I'm not sure if um, that counts as successful in the sports washing sense. Certainly, it's proved that if you've got enough money, you can pretty much purchase anything you want. <laughs> and you know, perhaps in the case of the PGA Tour, it's a case of they they perhaps recognised that ultimately they were going to lose this battle. Mm. And I mean, even from from their point of view, from Liv's point of view and Saudi Arabia's point of view, perhaps they would argue that, you know, golf under the PGA has become this elitist American-British white man's sport. It desperately needs a shot of adrenaline. We're here to provide that. I don't think you would describe what Liv was doing as less elitist than the the PGA Tour. Um, (laughs) But... uh, they're absolutely disruptors. And, you know, and frankly, I felt from day one that a bit of disruption potentially wasn't going to be a bad thing. Let's wait and see. Sure to be some fascinating golfing times ahead, Greg Turner. Thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome. Here's a rather unwelcome headline. China, India kick out nearly all of each other's journalists as rivalry escalates. Just what the world needs. The two most populous countries on Earth, both of which have nuclear weapons, antagonising one another. But just how serious are tensions between these two superpowers? And where does this enmity come from? Well, Sam Suchdeva is the foreign affairs editor for Newsroom, and he's also just published a book about China. And he's with us now in the studio. Hello there. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Take us through what's actually happened here, if you could... Yeah, yeah. So it's we've we've seen a bit of an escalation. I think this has been dragging on for a while, but in the the last week or two, there's been uh, an expulsion. I think of Chinese journalists from India, or at least not having their visas renewed. And this has sort of been a tit for tat rivalry. You've had Indian journalists who have been unable to get into China as well. Chinese journalists unable to get into India. So we're in this position now where you've got yeah sort of a media blackout almost in terms of having foreign representatives there. Why is that move such a big deal? Um, well, you've got two the two of the largest countries in the world, I think the two largest countries in the world, in fact, India just overtook China a few weeks ago, don't always have a, a great relationship. It's more a symptom, I guess, of a, a wider problem rather than a, a disease in and of itself. So talk to us then about that wider problem. What's the context? Is there historical beef here? Yeah, yeah. So this is, is a lot of uh, concerns about China at the moment. This goes back to territorial disputes and... You go back to the 1960s, I think, there were there sort of territorial wars between China and India. It's over, there's an area of disputed border in the Himalayas. So China maintains that it should have more of that territory, including some that is currently uh, Indian 
territory. Mm-hmm. And India says that China has been unfairly sort of having incursions into its land. So there's always been sort of a military presence along there, but it's been ramped up a little bit from the Chinese side in recent years. And we had, I think, in 2020 or 2021, a couple of um, deadly skirmishes, fights actually between Chinese and Indian soldiers, which ended up with casualties on both sides. So it's actually turned fatal and it's got really, really ugly. Sam, these two countries, they make up like a third of the world's population. It's just insane. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned, they are both nuclear powers. They both have big, powerful armies. They're both hugely powerful economically to the world and to New Zealand as well. How seriously should we be taking this? Yeah, look, I think incredibly seriously, as you say, Emil, the fact that they they have nuclear weapons, even if they're unlikely to use them, just that that is possibly in the mix is something to be really worried about. And we've had this this sort of broader India-China tension you know, India's being brought into these some of these US-led regional groupings. So there's something called the Quad, which is a you know security initiative that has India involved. A lot of countries, including New Zealand, now talk about the Indo-Pacific rather than the Asia-Pacific. And that's partly to include India, but it's also partly as a way to sort of counter a Chinese-led view of the region. So they're definitely being set in opposition to each other. So I think anything that sort of accelerates or heightens that tension is something to be you know concerned about. Sam Sajdeva, really interesting chatting to you. Hopefully this doesn't escalate any further. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Artificial intelligence can do a lot of things. Can help you work out if you're sick and need a doctor. Can help you cheat on university essays. And possibly, in fact, uh, actually do some of your proper work for you. But one thing it might not be able to do is make your dinner. But that hasn't stopped Pack and Save from releasing an AI recipe generator designed to make meals out of whatever is in your fridge or pantry. This sounds like a great idea on paper. Stuff's food editor Emily Brooks has given it a go and she's with us now to tell us if it works in real life. Kia ora, Emily. Kia ora. How's your stomach? Have we made any recipes from this pack and save AI recipe generator? We have. I did. I ate one for lunch today. It was a mushroom curry with bacon and it was pretty good. It was a little on the salty side. There was a combination of bacon and curry paste little too much salt, but overall pretty good. But this is the thing with this recipe generator. It learns from reading recipes. And there's a lot that it can learn. And when you give it ingredients that sort of do make some sense together, it can come up with some, you know, perfectly appetising combinations. But as I discovered, when you start throwing 
wacky combinations of ingredients added, it can come up with some equally unappetizing combinations. Oh, I want to hear about the unappetizing combinations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, so just just to see what would happen, I have two children and I stuck one in the entrance to my pantry and one into the entrance to my fridge and just told them to yell out what they saw. <laughs> so they came up with um, noodles, raisins, tomato sauce, cocoa puffs, milk, Carrots, lettuce, crumpets, and corn chips. Oh. And the bot, very gamely, used all of those ingredients in a recipe that it called cocoa carrot noodle salad. And that does include cooked noodles, quarter of a cup of raisins, half a cup of tomato sauce, half a cup of cocoa puffs. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, you know, you are unlikely to suggest to the bot that... <laughs> That, that it uses your leftover cocoa puffs in your evening meal, right? So I think Pack and Save have fairly assumed that there is some human common sense going into the recipe generator. But what it shows me is that, you know, you can give a bot pretty much all of the knowledge available to humanity, but it still doesn't have taste buds. Is there something you think could then work a bit better just with a few tweaks, i.e. maybe not including every single item that your children suggested? Yeah, I think the bot has been designed to use as many of the ingredients as you give it as possible because the goal is for you to use your leftovers Mm. before you buy new products. But yes, I think if there was a way that you could teach it that not all things are, you know, sort of viable dinner ingredients, that that might be helpful. And even when I was giving it more kind of standard things, there were some things that it came up with where I thought that just that doesn't sound like the most appetising meal. Emily, if any of Newsable's culinarily gifted uh, listeners are keen to give the carrot, cocoa puff, crumpet salad with noodles a try with you tomato sauce. fixated on this dish. Um, <laughs> would, would, you, would you be willing to share the recipe with, with them? The recipe's in my story. So we yeah. just head, yeah. to, head to your story. And you can find that story on... On stuff.co.nz, yeah. Emily Brooks, thank you for your time. Thank you. We would like to ask you to help us out with something now. You listening to this, uh, please go to your pantry or your fridge and have a look in there and generate a recipe for us using the pack and save thingy and then send it to us uh, on TikTok or uh, on Instagram at newsable.nz or email us, newsable.stuff.co.nz and next week each of us will pick our favourite or our least favourite recipe and we will make it. I suggested this challenge and now I'm instantly regretting it because it has occurred to me. A lot of people have olives in their fridges. I'm I'm absolutely terrified that someone's going to open their pantry and there's going to be be wall-to-wall of canned tuna. (laughs) Okay, I'm excited but I'm anxious because I know I'm going to end up having to eat an olive for this. So make sure you get your janky recipes into us. Or they might be yummy. Go on, submit a yummy one. No risk, no fun. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence. <laughs> <laughs>
if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there, that sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Imogen, I have found out about something wonderful. Oh, go on. Um, it's about the mountain-dwelling anti-capitalist KFC monks who control a slice of the world of alcohol. You're going to have to explain <laughs> quite a lot, my friend. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? All right, so there is this uh, alcoholic liqueur called chartreuse. Are you familiar with chartreuse? I am not. Uh, isn't that a colour? It's um, it's like bright green and it comes in nice bottles and it tastes, it's very strong. I think it's like 55 to 60% alcohol. Can I just quickly Google it? I yeah, just want to confirm whether or not I've even seen it. Right. Uh, I think that you, you probably will have seen it behind the bar at some stage. It, it tends to be sort of like a top shelf liqueur at nice bars. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen this really? before. Okay. Well, anyway, it's um, it's yummy. It's sort of anisey, sweet herbal. Um, Sounds disgusting. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. It's fair to say, but it's very in vogue at the moment because um, it's an ingredient in lots of cocktails. And this has, of course, you know, supply and demand, basic economics, has led to a surge in demand for chartreuse. But, but there is a bit of a problem. Tell me the problem. The, the problem is that all the chartreuse in the world is made by a little group of Carthusian monks who live in the French Alps. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so confused. Yeah. So, like, li- literally all of it. Um, the, the, the recipe for chartreuse dates back to 1605. And... Um, it's like it's Mission Impossible level secret. Uh, apparently, only two monks are allowed to know the exact recipe at any given time, which literally makes it more closely guarded than uh, the Colonel's KFC chicken seasoning. And they distill all of the uh, liqueur at their monastery in in, in the Alps in, in France. So yeah, it is it is super super duper under lock and key secret. I'm lost for words. Why aren't they just making more? If there's now a, a shortage. It's because the, the recipe for chartreuse includes a bunch of different herbs and spices and flowers from their area, um, more than 130. And some of these plants are in quite short supply. So wh- while demand is booming at the moment, these monks who control the world's supply of chartreuse, it's so funny, it's like Illuminati stuff. Um, <laughs> they're like, you know what, we, we're, actually, we're not going to step up supply because we care about the environment and we don't want to overfarm these plants. And while we could make millions and millions of dollars out of this, screw capitalism, our time is better spent in solitary prayer, searching for enlightenment, than it is hustling for euros. I'm just at a loss for words. I I am now obsessed with this mm. and it needs to be turned into a movie. Yeah. I, I believe. I agree. I agree. And um, actually, before you go and watch that movie in the several years it'll take to make it, mm. feel free to enjoy mm. a chartreuse cocktail that I've just looked up just for your benefit, okay. Imogen Wells. It's called The Last Word. Uh, green chartreuse, gin, um, maraschino liqueur, and lime juice. Sounds good, doesn't it? I might knock one back after this. Sounds delightful. Well, it is six o'clock in the morning and, after um, you all. You know, and I'm just going to wrap this up so I can go try and make one. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. <laughs> and I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on your favourite podcast player and leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show. And we just really appreciate it. 
You can follow us on social media. We're on TikTok and Instagram. Search us at Newsable and Z. And also, if you want to get in touch, you can email us, newsable at stuff.co.nz. Make sure you get those AI-generated, weird and wacky and possibly heavily olive-filled recipes to us because we're going to be making some, some interesting things next week. Newsable goes colour. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.